what we want to do is ask God to bless us, not merely because we do it all the time, but because we want his blessing on the hearing and the teaching of the word. Um, and sometimes it just takes speaking to that, like you when you say grace at the meal, so that it doesn't become just grace at the meal. You don't want to have you blessing your food, your kids just think it's a little hoop you jump through, um, but that you're really thankful. So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your mercies to us, and we're grateful for the gospel that went out through your son and through his apostles. We'd ask that you would help us understand what we're about and that basic of things called our salvation. In your son's name, amen. But thinking about, as I mentioned last week when we were in Acts 3, um, about evangelism, and uh, I've been talking to my dad about it, and, and uh, looking at the first few chapters of Acts, or the temptation to go on into chapter 5 next week, God willing. Um, but uh, there are aspects of evangelism, and it's always great to hear prayer requests of people who are talking to an unbeliever. That's just Supporting that going out is, is great. We know that there are a lot of churches in this town that are good believing bodies that uh, are all also looking at the horizon of unbelief and trying to, in various means, lead people to Christ. It's uh, one of those central things uh, for us. And when we see it first being done, like Mark read this morning um, in Acts 2, the idea of when the gospel was first preached. I ran into a lot of the same things that we run into now. They, as Mark mentioned, may have dealt with it differently. They didn't seem to do follow-up because when somebody gets follow really saved, they follow up themselves. They're so eager and thrilled with the things of God. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They devote themselves. So we learn in the, in the cracks, in between major events after Pentecost, we learn in the cracks certain things may be going on that will help you understand your success, your lack of success, uh, what's going on in the world, how the church can get off kilter, and, and how it expresses the gospel. So we're in Acts 4, first verse, and as they were speaking to the people, this occurs right after what we talked about last week the healing of the lame man uh, at the beautiful gate. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now this, it's a very particular statement there. They were annoyed because in Christ, not because of Christ per se, but they were preaching the resurrection of the dead, which, as you'll notice, the Sadducees were upset about. It won't always be that what you, some aspect of the gospel that you preach, it will always be offensive. Some aspects of the gospel will be offensive to some people, some aspects uh, offensive to others. 
the Muslims have a very difficult time with Jesus being the Son of God. Very difficult. They really stress that Allah is one agent and to have the Son of God is just outside their ability to process. You run into other people that uh, have a real problem, say the LDS, they have a problem with uh, grace. They have a works righteousness system. Same with the Roman Catholics, they do the same thing with the, uh, uh, the doctrine of uh, sola fide, uh, grace and, uh, faith alone. So it's going to be different things, different times. Now, what I want, other than that's obvious, you go, oh, okay, I see the Sadducees, they don't believe in the afterlife. That's one of their tenets. So if someone is teaching the resurrection from the dead, I don't care if they're teaching it uh, with an entirely different name. They're in the temple. The, the Sadducees control the temple. They are the, largely the priestly class at this time, and they are largely the, uh, we don't believe in the afterlife or spirit or any kind of metaphysic. They just believe in temple observance. So here are the apostles teaching in the temple, and the Sadducees come up, and they get annoyed because of a, of a doctrine that is really unthinkable to hear. It's like you're preaching free will in the Presbyterian church. Or determinism in a, uh, you know, Christian church. <laughs> a little humor there, a little side funny. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the morrow. For it was already evening, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Mark, just in two chapters earlier, the saved after Pentecost were 3,000 souls, it says in that passage. But here it is either a total, those 3,000 plus whoever was getting saved, or it's an added 5,000. But here it's just the men that are listed. The number of men came to about 5,000. A large, large reaction. Now, bear in mind, that's not 5,000 or to, to 8,000 souls in Moscow, Idaho, which would shake the town up. This is five to 8,000 souls in Jerusalem, which had population like Spokane's. Okay, what's the population of Spokane? I'm just guessing, 500,000? Something like that. That Jerusalem was five to seven hundred thousand people. Big, big city. And but still, when you're dealing with the religious, have you ever felt once you now that you're in the religious set, you're in Christian circles, that Moscow, once you have a set, seems smaller because you don't see all the riffraff. You don't know people, so you don't see them. And you just see the people you know on Main Street, you go down to the farmer's market, there's kind of a crowd, you think they were created by CGI, and they, they don't really exist, so you just meet your friends, and you come to a church and there's 40 people, if we're lucky, this morning. We have a smaller world. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, these were all small groups, but they were dominant in the, you might say, the religious horizons. Uh, the three major groups of the 
of this first century were the Essenes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. And uh, so this event, although it's notable, but it's probably more notable to the Sadducees because they represent people who are temple-oriented, who are pursuing God, and they have a theory about how that's to be done, and Jesus and the apostles aren't in that theory. The resurrection's not in that theory. What happens is, is that we, I mentioned this yesterday, um, I, won't, I won't be as, as crude as I mentioned it then, but you know how dogs run around and bark things as theirs? They drink up a lot of water and off they run and every time they stop at a tree or whatever, they're, they're not just incontinent, uh, they're marking everything. And they're really stupid. You know, it's like, it's mine, it's mine, I relieved myself on it. Other dogs come along and smell, it. oh, so what? And I'm gonna, and we're just like the dogs. We have marked territories. We mark our little arena of theology. We mark our little arena of, of, of business or art theory or whatever it is you're into. And people get annoyed when something comes up that challenges their right to claim that as their territory. It's also true that, and, and we're going to think about how that is resolved. So if that's just all we're, we're doing it, how are we, say, as Christians, to do it differently? We'll get to that in a moment. But <coughs> you also got to <coughs> remember <coughs> that there's something about the success of Pentecost, the success of the preaching of the gospel, because you are talking about thousands of people. That's, that's notable. As Mark said, it takes some doing to hold that into some sort of... Um, coherent functioning, how do you organize that? We know it's a, it's a big, big deal, but you have to also remember this, although it was a, a revival type response, it wasn't a popular front as much as it was a many people involved. Because often American Christians like to have revivals because they're nervous about not being popular. They like to have a big turnout so that they can feel that a large portion of the population approves of them. Because a lot of people are insecure about approval. This is not the kind of Christian response that those sorts of people are going to want. It's a lot of people, but it ends up being a lot of targets. Because after this, Paul goes after them and starts arresting them and throwing them in jail and having them killed. And for the next few hundred years, Christians are dodging the Colosseum. They're trying to not get killed. The success of it was not the success of popularity. The numbers was not one that were, were not numbers that were coming in because, golly, at last, Christians are winning. <laughs> it didn't seem like to the Christians that the Christians were winning even though more and more were coming to Christ. On the morrow, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. These are the same suspects back at the death of Christ, which was not that long before this, but 
Annas and Caiaphas, who, were, who all were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Healing the lame guy. They were curious. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I want you to remember, filled with the Holy Spirit, God was guiding this one. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple, by what means this man has been healed, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which, but which has become the head of the corner. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a great statement. He could have just, you know, uh, well, he could have soft-pedaled it. But he decides to, he's been in jail overnight, called before the guys that had killed Jesus Christ. When he says, whom you crucified, he's talking to the guys who did it. Not just all of men's sin has caused the death of Christ. No, anybody you talk to today didn't actually have a hand in the deed. These guys did, Annas and Caiaphas. These are the guys that paid the soldiers to lie about the empty tomb. And he's telling them everything they don't want to hear. Now, when we go around marking things in our world, the, the sad thing about dogs when they're doing that is how, you say, how stupid is this? Really? You're marking this neighborhood as if that means you can run around and do anything you want inside these boundaries. These yards are yours. Dibs, you got it. What do dogs do with all that power? They just challenge each other all the time for it, right? They, they fight each other over who got to relieve himself on that lamppost. They have some sort of thrill about claiming that area that we perhaps, when we run around claiming areas for ourselves, we have a thrill too, a consequent thing that we think is why we should be doing this, why I should be becoming this successful or that successful or claiming this or arguing this point with those people. And with the dogs, you say, well, they don't really actually have a point to marking the territory. But they do have one point, and it's our point too, which is, it's mine. One of the greatest, I, I had kids at one point, and they watched Finding Nemo, which had certain truths that came through. One was the seagulls, who just said, mine, 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 mine. That's how we all are. That's how the dogs are. I'm going to relieve myself on this fire hydrant, because it's now mine. The important thing is not that they 
had a chance to go number one. The important thing was that it made the mind, made it mine. And that's how we live. Is it mine or not? Part of the kingdom of you. That's your thrill in it. Every position you hold, you're going to hold, you're going to be tempted to hold it this way. Because you're a Republican. Well, why is that important? Well, it's I'm a, you didn't catch that I am a Republican. You didn't catch that I am an Arminian. I am a Scotsman, which is the best. Whence comes wars and fightings among you? Is it not your passions that wage war? And your members, you're trying to feed he who matters most. The Sadducees are in this position. They suspect, as they did, that everybody else is too. This is going to be the distinction. What I'm saying this morning is that Christianity, in its actuality, is a distinction. It doesn't play this game. We should know this when we're preaching it. We should know this when we're living it. We should try to not be involved with the kind of Christianity that is just doing this a different way, being a Sadducee a different way with better doctrine, being annoyed at somebody who doesn't agree with you, fighting over your turf. Now that's the difference. The thing is, this happens a lot in religion. Um, because it's a big, big, big claim. That's why you can, if you threw a Koran into the middle of a crowd of Islamic people and that hit the ground, a riot would occur. People care about their religion. It's not always against Christianity. You see Muslims killing Hindus in India. People are very uptight about their religious notions. Now, when we, the, the silliness of fighting for your marked territory is because if that marked territory's consequent thrill is you, that's it. It's that I'm a Republican, I'm a Scotsman, it's because it's me. You can joke about it because we we're not as ethnically driven in the United States, and to be a Scotsman or an Irishman, you wear green on St. Patrick's Day, and I wear orange because I'm a Protestant, and you know, the, you, you have fun with it, right? But we know that certain areas stop being fun. We know that even as you see uh, churches that are being successful, becoming what you call mega churches, you start seeing them have a harder and harder time being gracious to others. There are people who uh, have almost worldly notions of how to control people instead of having them controlled by the Spirit. Now, the distinction between those who serve themselves and those who are doing the right thing is that the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, by that name, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men. And I want you to think about that. There's no other name, which includes your own. 
And I don't care if you took Christianity and you kept all the terminology the same, but you just moved yourself, that your consequent thrill of belonging was what it meant to you about what you were doing. You were not serving the living God, you were serving yourself. You see, Christians, I recommend that you don't read much church history. It is a depressing slog through 2,000 years of animosity. Why? Because everybody had turned it into a service of themselves. There was, I was thinking about it, matter of fact, I wrote it down, I'd run across something on the interwebs. Where is it? Oh, there was a kind of a, a spat, not involving me or anything, but uh, a mega church had fired some elders and they reminded them that there was a non-compete clause in their contract that they could not start a ministry within 10 miles of any of the church holdings of the church they had just been fired by. Besides feeling you have to go take a shower after an event, this is an evangelical church, believing, they believe the gospel, dear Christians there, who it becomes evident, you say, well, what if I, what if I did? They would sue you, literally. They would sue you for the violation of your contract. Well, you shouldn't have signed such a dumb contract. I agree. But what does that say to you? It says, how can a church have a non-compete clause unless they're serving their own interests and not the Lord's? Because if I went back to the, within 10 miles of that and said, well, I'm not competing with you. I'm serving the same kingdom. Still. I'm not competing. How could I compete? The only competition that's available for another Christian to bring is if one or both of them is serving themselves. There's a real competition then. It, it permeates uh, everything from, you might say, copyright law, all sorts of things like that where, where Christians... Uh, I asked my dad, I said, after you're dead, because I'm trying to get as much out of him as I can. After you're dead, can I just print your stuff as much as I want? He said, sure. He said, no problem. He said, I, he worked in Christian literature for most of his life. And the idea that people were copywriting or, or keeping the word of God somehow held on to by their own, by their own claims. Is there another name that your salvation has included? Is there another name under heaven, given among men, that sounds like yours, that you've included as your consequent thrill? The benefits to you, not God's kingdom. When you find a God, when you get introduced to God, there is a Not that there's a failure for conflict to happen, but it's not for your thrill. Matter of fact, sometimes you die. And in the issue of the gospel, 
What you see early on in the church, the first few chapters of Acts, is the boldness of men who had fled Christ a few weeks earlier. Afraid of dying now, not afraid of dying. Willing to stand up to Annas and Caiaphas when before Peter, the guy saying this, couldn't even face down a serving girl in the courtyard who asked him, weren't you one of those guys? No, don't know the man. And now, Annas and Caiaphas have them up after a night in jail, and he says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and there's no other way. And I'm sorry if you're Sadducees, but it is the resurrection of the dead. He lets them know. The boldness of the gospel, the ability to have serving a kingdom that isn't your own, it's a liberating courage. Because we all get sort of nervous when we're out there relieving ourselves against the uh, lampposts and trees and marking our territory and, and saying, this is my theology, that's your theology, this is our group, that's your group. We become nervous about loss. We become nervous about not having sufficient standing. We might even pick fights with other groups of Christians because we want to shore up the borders of our fiefdom. But if it's Christ's, we can just preach him, let him be glorified. You're going to be an ambassador either for your interests, your thrill, or an ambassador for the Lord's. One lets you be bolder than the other. Now, there are some people who are very bold for their view. They get bolder as their groups get bigger. They're maybe just bold A-type personalities. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they wondered. Because we know we can find bold people who are bold people with or without Jesus Christ. Remember a guy, some of you know Ed Van Newland. If you've ever met Ed Van Newland, you say, well, what an upbeat guy. What an incredibly upbeat guy. The Lord has done so much for now. Ed was like that before he was a Christian. I knew him when he worked for Sunset Sports over here where the co-op is. And just upbeat guy all the time. Jesus saved his sorry rear end. And he was now an upbeat guy for Jesus. But these people, Peter and John, uneducated, common men, it caused the Sadducees to wonder at their boldness. If you want your boldness to not be how strong a dog you are, that you have the right to claim this big a territory by your power of ministry, you have the right because Jesus Christ claims the world. And you could be the uneducated common men who because you have met a God whose kingdom you serve, you're not trying to go make a fiefdom of religion for yourself. Whose power are you serving? But seeing, oh, the next phrase is, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what you have to ask yourself. 
Do people recognize by your boldness that you're not serving the consequent thrill you're getting, but by your boldness you have your confidence in your Lord, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, raised from the dead, and people go, you're really a follower of his, aren't you? You're really a follower of Jesus Christ. We recognize you as having been with him. But seeing the man who'd been healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. There's the guy. It's not like, prove it. There's the guy. Everybody knew the guy. Beautiful gate, way into the temple. Saw him for the last, well, 40 years. Begging at the gate of the temple. And when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is manifest to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We cannot deny it. Sometimes we wish we could do things like that. They did it for the, the poor man. It's also a judgment against those who actually saw it, actually admitted to it. Annas and Caiaphas knew that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. They lied to people to stop people from believing it. They also knew this guy had been healed. He was standing right there. They couldn't deny it. They wanted to deny it because this was the area they had peed on. Because they're silly as dogs. All of us are silly as dogs unless we serve something eternal. They knew it was a miracle. They just did not want to give up their control over their territory. It annoyed them. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, in other words, that the boundaries, the, I hate to use that word because I don't believe in boundaries, borders, edge, the line between you and the other, this thing is expanding. They saw it expanding, 3,000, 5,000. So make sure it doesn't spread any further. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Maybe in the background they understood. Who do you serve when you claim your power area? Your arena of will. Even if it's over your own life. You say, I'm not a kind of person who runs around trying to control everyone else. I'm really laid back theologically. I don't know much about theology. I look at those fights. You might not be. But you're claiming this control over this body. And God knows that every human being claims this control over this body and your control over this body, when it talks about in Romans, you're supposed to yield your members to righteousness. Because everybody struggles with what do I do about sin? Well, we have social sin out there between groups and powers and, and opinions, but we have a lot of sin right here, just you. Just you the way you're being because... You're serving the thrill of being in charge of the area that matters most to you. You. And Jesus Christ has claimed it. And if you preach in his name, if you tell people that, no, you don't get to decide which part or how much of Jesus you take. He is someone. He's going to take it. You're either going to be blessed by him or you're going to be cursed by him, but you're going to deal with him.
So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now apart from what that is in the broader social context of us evangelizing and how this world doesn't want the name of Jesus being used, that God is allowable, some generic godness out there, he or she or whatever you conceive him to be, the cosmic thunderer. But not Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. He lays that thing out in front of them, saying, okay, we have a choice now. Now, if you are just someone in your religious interest who are serving a particular theology, a particular church, a particular you, and you're up against some other non-you in the Christian church, and you're having a little squabble, how silly does it sound when you claim that God is on your side? We're the true Christians. It's like pulling out the final trump card. This is real biblical Christianity. You get to say it if it is. You get to say it if you're functioning in the world for the authority and power and kingdom of Christ, not the authority and power and kingdom of you. And you can see that in the heart that comes forward. Christians don't mind getting killed. Christians don't mind having everything taken from them. Christians don't fight that fight when they are serving Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ reigns, period. He won, that's it. Everybody out of the pool, it's, it's over. I don't have to prove a thing. I don't have to win more people to Jesus. He won, he's God, he made everything. He will judge everything. I don't have to do anything more. I'm just trying to be faithful to his kingdom. And if that means that evil people are going to kill me and take my stuff, we rejoice. You must judge, but we cannot speak of what, but speak of what we have seen and heard. Is the consequent thrill of your service to Christ because you serve Christ? Or is it only a thrill if all those other things are given to you? The thrill of a revival, the thrill of popularity, the thrill of financial success. What have you seen and heard? People recognize you of having traveled with Jesus. We think we're being, we know we're being a bad testimony when Christians fight with each other. But they're really just, if people were clear about it, they do it in the name of Jesus, but they fight with each other in the name of themselves. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all men praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So they had four decades to see this guy. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, in red. Sovereign Lord. What Christians need to become aware of in evangelism is that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We're not trying to convince enough people in the world that he is Lord so they will vote for him so he'll win the election. We're not trying to win any elections here. Now, if if you're trying to win elections so that you can have more faith, because unless enough people vote for Jesus, I don't know if I can believe. Sovereign Lord. That means ruling. Sovereignty means rule. That's all it means. God is in charge. And if Christians understood this, that God is in charge, who didst make heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them? I, you don't know if you wonder why I always pray who made heaven and earth. Dear Lord, who made heaven and earth. Because you want to be reminded all the time that you don't serve you. You serve a God who long before you were cared about by anyone, God was being a God making universes. Then making this place and putting man on it. You need to remind yourself of how low your bow should go. How powerful is the agent? I was studying East Asia history many years ago. Talked about the kowtow, which is the Chinese, back in the imperial period, the Chinese. If you came to see the emperor, you did the kowtow, which was the nine obeisances and the twelve prostrations which means when you entered the courtroom, you started bowing at the door. And you had to do repeated bowing and smacking your head all the way to certain points, allowed to go forward, the nine obeisances and the twelve prostrations. You basically licked the floor to the foot of the throne because he was the emperor. And who were you? And people did it because they had that view of the king, that view of the emperor. This is God, bigger than emperors. Who by the mouth of our father David, thy servants did say by the Holy Spirit, and he quotes here Psalm 2, a great messianic psalm. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves in array, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what all of our lives are like. That's even what's inside the Christian church is like. When I tell you about a megachurch that has a non-compete clause for someone leaving their ministry. A non-compete clause. Everyone who is serving their own consequent thrill, what it means to have a big picture of you on the back of your books that you wrote, when you become the most notable, best-selling Christian author. What does it mean to you? It matters to you, and you rage, like the Gentiles, the kings of the earth and the rulers, that set themselves in array, that's going to battle with. The Sadducees saw it in, oh, you're, you're saying something that's against our way of thought. We've got to withstand you because that's we're fighting like nations over territory. And the Christians say, yes, but we won. 
Yes, then it doesn't matter. We just declare Jesus Christ. This is over. It says, and he continues, For truly, in this city we're gathered together to, against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy plan had predestined to take place. That's the laughable part about it. I think that's what it says. Does it say that in Psalm 2? Oh yeah, it's the next uh, two verses later. Let me read Psalm 2 to you. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. That's who you serve in the gospel and in your life. Not just in preaching the gospel, not just in your church selection, in your life. Everything you do, you are holding in delegation from the Lord God. He gave you the right to do this, that, or the other thing. You pray, God permitting, I will go do thus and such. Because he is your Lord. And everything in this world is ruled by him. And everything, everyone rages against and back and forth and fights their battles, God just laughs at them. They can't do a thing. Not only can they not do a thing, they end up doing the thing God wanted to have done. Their anger at God had these Sadducee priests and the Roman soldiers and the people of Israel calling for the life of Jesus Christ and they killed him like God wanted. They end up being wanted, uh, doing what God wants them to do. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to thy servants to speak thy word with all boldness. Because that's what we know we're in battle. It's not so much, oh, we've got to be, you know, always be at peace with everything and ever. No, the battles happen. Fights are picked. You better pick that it's not your own deal that you're defending. While thou stretches out thy hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's occurred a number of times through this passage. The boldness of these apostles. Uneducated. Low. But they had joined up with Jesus Christ. And sometimes we, because we're so group-centered, we're so decided that you have to go pick what kind of Christian you're going to be with and what group would, is it successful enough and is it out there enough? And that's where you finally get enough boldness because there's enough young people who are going to go door to door. So not just you, not just you. Heavens know not you alone with tracks you ordered. 
But if everybody else does, I will too. If everybody else can be seen down the street going to the next door, oh, there's, there's, there's Johnny over there. He's, he's at the door now. I'll ring the doorbell too. Where's your boldness? Is it part of being in this group that has served other thrills? And as long as those other thrills are built in you, you will act in your groups. Thinking they're Christian groups. I mean, because they're made up of Christians, I don't doubt that they're. But they are they really have dear believers in them, but who have all fallen back into building their participation in Christ as if it were Coca-Cola or the Democrats or Republicans or whatever else, like fighting on these worldly wars. We are not fighting that fight. We're declaring Jesus Christ, who owns everything. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful to be in that place, not serving thrills of our own, but serving your Son and his will. Declaring your Son and his death, declaring your Son and his resurrection. Lord, help us understand that this does not appeal to a part of me that I want gratification in. But since you are God and we are your people, there is great power in it. Help us spread your son's gospel. And in his name we pray. Amen.